Hello and welcome to another Redmond Conversation. A Redmond Conversation today with Matthias um, Steiner. Uh, he is the Chief Product Officer of Neptune Software, and we're going to be talking about uh, some 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 myths uh, and misconceptions, perhaps, about low code. Uh, Neptune is a business that is uh, is thriving at the moment, and uh, yeah, Matthias, why don't you say a bit about what you're doing and what your role is? Yeah, CPO is a fancy title, you know, for an 80-person company. But um, yeah, so I cover product management um, with very close interactions with, with go-to-market communications and product marketing, um, of course, engineering. Um, so everything, yeah, just that falls in that intersection is, is typically running over my desk. So that's that's about it, yeah. Okay, so it's, it's, it's a tight-knit team. I know that. I met, I met a few of you. Why don't you say a bit about the, the company as a whole? Because, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get to the loco, but, uh, you know, j- just from the perspective of, um, I understand you're, you know, you're not a, a Silicon Valley startup. Like, what, uh, no, <laughs> no. The, the company headquarters is, is in Norway, in Oslo. Um, and um, the whole thing got started um, 10 years back, you know, with the idea to bring enterprise mobility closer to the SAP developers. At that time, SAP tried to, you know, address the challenge with, with acquisitions. Um, and of course, that was a little bit obtrusive to all those ABAP developers because they were told, here's a new tool set, new lifecycle management, new technology, learn it, and that's how you do uh, mobile. Um, and, and the founders of, of, of Neptune just said, hey, there's a better way. We can make it much more native, much more seamless integration into the way and the tool set of, of ABAP developers. And then it, it alluded into digital experience with, with SAP's design system, Fiori and UL5. And, and then we added API integration and really covering not only SAP, but SAP plus X, which seems to be the norm at, at, at most companies. So that's, that's okay. So yeah, you're, 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 um, I mean, I think there's a couple of things there. I mean, clearly, you know, building in the SAP ecosystem. So you came with, with, you know, a slightly different culture, um, from, uh, some of the others in the market. We'll talk a bit about that. So, you know, I think from my perspective in, in having a conversation uh, about this and in talking to you, um, as you know, I, you know, I think I probably began, uh, I possibly still have a bit of a bit of a sort of a low code kind of skepticism. I do have, mm-hmm. I'm always worried that the, the software developers and at Redmonk, we like to you know, make developers the, 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 the lens through which we view the world. I always worry that it's it's the developers that are going to be left cleaning something up, cleaning up a mess. Um, you know, if, if something is is built by people that don't really know what they're doing. So that's like my initial, is that, is that a place to begin? Is that a myth? Is that a misconception? It, it totally is. And I'm happy you bring it up right from the get-go. So I would start by saying not all local platforms are created equal. Mm-hmm. And then when I would be talking to you and, and, and the people that, you, you know, that's um, like like you that come with a technical background. I would always say let's let's forget about low code and no code and and just call it component centric app rapid app development. Okay. Because suddenly we have two things: we have the rapid app development, meaning it's all about time to market, time to value, and we have component centricity, which which I think all technology people would say that's the right way how you build proper software by you know having a modular reusable components that you then use to accelerate the development process. Um, governance, and I think that's, that's the, the other thing that was implied by your 
by your statement that that's the the most important thing to keep in mind um because yes i just imagine what would happen if you have non-traditional software uh, non you know like non-developers creating software the amount of apps being created will just go insane and 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 what do we do if we don't have the governance to to keep it you know in control keep it manageable and it would backfire because i mean the goal really was to make first of all professional software engineers more productive mm -hmm. secondly freeing up some time and then helping others in the company to also well you know build little small lightweight apps that they need for their day-to-day -day business and if suddenly we don't do it properly and all those internal people suddenly also you know asking it for support we just uh, yeah it's 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 that's that's the, all, the the worst thing we want so you have to do do it properly and yes governance and central um, um repositories for those building blocks or components this is the key for success mm -hmm. yeah so there's a couple of things there actually that that, that are worth double clicking on so uh one uh I, you know it's interesting you you mentioned that that sort of the sap uh history um and you know technologies like abap obviously that's only found in the sap world but then as you began talking about and rapid application development i quite like the term because it's a term a little bit from mm -hmm. the past and i always exactly. think it's time to to you know to revisit um things like that but you know rapid application development and, and component-based development i mean that's sort of that sounds a bit like where we'd be going with something like react i mean what what does your stack look like are you um are you just about sort of this sap technology or are you horizontal are you more of a horizontal technology player today a oh, great question so we have so, so Neptune DXP, our platform comprises out of two um, environments, or maybe you could call them runtime. The one, the initial one that we created sits embedded within the SAP backend systems. So it's really like completely integrated. It comes with zero footprint from an SAP IT perspective, and it caters to those professional ABAP developers that you mentioned. But as we know, um, there's a whole bunch of other vendors out there beyond the SAP and even SAP's portfolio the last 10 years, with the exception being S4HANA, was driven by acquisition. So from a technology standpoint, it's also non-SAP, right? So how do I combine them? How do I bring them together? And as you said, it's completely two different mindsets. We have the backend developers mm -hmm. that have a strong understanding of the business processes, of the workings of an SAP system, but they're not really like, you know, like they never needed to be top cutting edge when it comes to technology. Now, on the other hand, you have whatever you want to call them, the 10X rockstar developer ninjas, you know, like those full stack developers that are very much into technology, but they don't really care a lot about dull, boring ERP processes. So how do you bring them together? How do you work, want them to work together? Because typically at the large customers and companies out there, they're pretty divided, right? That they don't really talk to each other a lot. And that's how we think our two platforms can, can help bridge those um, things. And, and our open edition, how we call it, it's, it's Node.js, it's, it's TypeScript, it's, it's heavily influenced by some of the Microsoft tooling. Um, so, so a full stack developer would feel at home. He's like, yeah, I know that. And the SAP uh, developers that feel at home with our SAP edition. And suddenly we are bringing them together by saying, hey, the, the, we have an open API standard-based RESTful programming model that they mm -hmm. can use to work together. We have a, a very uh, similar tool set when it comes to providing a, a digital experience on top. 
you know, where the graphical modeling, um, you mentioned React. Yes, we support React development as well, but we also support other uh, design systems such as UI5 and Fiori. Um, um, we even took uh, uh, Bootstrap uh, um, and, and, and mashed it up with the data binding from UI5. So everybody would, would feel at home and they're starting to speak the same lingo, the same vocabulary, and they can work together. Okay. So, I mean, another question I've got would be um, it's kind of interesting there because you talked about customer experience management or customer experience. Again, maybe it's a misconception, but from my perspective, when you think about low code, maybe sometimes it's it's those environments that, you know, they'll do the job, but it doesn't really feel like a design environment. There's no design system. It's not um, mm. it's not it's not built that way. And yet, you know, what about it, it? Yeah. Like, is that something you agree with or you know, what, what does it look like in your customers? Where, where, where does this design sensibility come in? Um, it's about components, right? So, so all the way from, from the backend integration where you have such things as API definitions that you could call a connector. Um, you have maybe local data sets that you're storing in, 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 in the database that comes along with it. You may have um, Excel sheets, Google Docs, SurveyMonkey, backend points, analytic backend points. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're abstracting from, from the data source via abstractions. Then you can as I said, extend our capabilities with, with NPM modules to just bring in, I don't know, sentiment analysis uh, um, and all these type of, uh, of things, image recognition. And then you have, yeah, um, a design system, an atomic design system where you can create custom components, page templates, application templates, all branded according to your corporate identity. And you can use them in a drag and drop fashion to create the UI. But it's, you're not locked into that, right? It's, it's at the end of the day, we're, we're just using a graphical interface to make it quicker and easier, but you have the source code, HTML5 source code behind. So you don't have those limitations from first class no-code tools as well, because you can always augment and complement everything you've done in a low-code fashion with, with pro-code, high-code, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Okay. What are, you, what are your, I mean, so we, we've said a bit, uh, you mentioned governance, yeah, we talked mm -hmm. about, maybe people that, that are not professional developers, what do your actual, what do your customers look like? And what do you think, how do you see this, this, this landscape? Um, because low code tooling, whether or not I'm a skeptic, it's becoming, it's becoming, um, you know, definitely part of the IT uh, landscape. What are you seeing in terms of the persona, persona in your, in your customers and how, how do you foster interaction between them, the, 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 the different groups? So I always go with orange is the new black, of course, meaning, you know, referring to Neptune's primary color. Um, so we have customers in all industries of all sizes. We have the really big ones like Johnson & Johnson, um, Walmart and others. And we have small, medium business. It's very strong here in, in Germany and in, in German-speaking regions and in the Nordics. So size doesn't really matter in this regard. As I said, industries doesn't matter. So it's more about verticals, right? And, and it, typically it starts there. So often people come to us and say, hey, we're, we're not looking for a strategic local platform, but we're looking for uh, somebody that can help us solve a particular challenge in, let's say, creating an employee portal or creating a supplier portal or inventory management or plant maintenance that needs strong offline capabilities as well. And that's how we start. We do that uh, reasonably well. And then the customer says, I have two more challenges. And suddenly they say, hey, seems like you really got something. We want to use Neptune as a strategic development platform. In terms of how they can work together, 
Yes, and in simple scenarios, um, the, the SAP people can just create full stack applications with, with, the, with, with their skill set they already have, which goes back to, you know, like, like Redmonk, like really being at the forefront of saying developers are the new kingmakers. Everybody needs developers. They're hard to get. And if you get uh, some, then they're not really cheap. So why not utilize the, the in-house expertise you already have? And then as, as customers expand from, you know, just SAP to SAP plus X scenarios, um, to integrate with Workday, with Salesforce, and all these th um, things, or integrate with with custom development that they have done on the hyperscalers. That's yeah. That's where open APIs come in, and where we can say yeah, we can expose everything that you have in your SAP backend system as a as an open API um, to interact with, and then you can build composite mashups, whatever you want to call it, with mm -hmm. yeah, on the open edition stack, and create this this beautiful applications and workflows that go all the way from from the core backend system to the cloud, including offline. Okay, I think one of the questions you probe a bit on there because as I say, mm -hmm. you did mention governance, and then yeah. who's who's running the projects? Like who's the customer from that perspective? Is it is it yeah what what part of the the what part of the business or it is it it's 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 both it's sometimes it's it's um the sap it hat um sometimes you have a specific lob that just says okay i want to you know uh, need a solution and, and sometimes you have the chief innovation officers the chief these um the, the chief digital officers um the cios and all that so it really depends but where the 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 most interesting cases is where we find somebody um, um, that becomes the advocate and, and, and whose career is tightly coupled to the success of the project. Um, and we had multiple occasions of that where a person's career just got completely, you know, um, put on, on hyper growth by, by being the one that can finally be the change agent and start to, as I said, get, get remove those silos in IT and also remove the silos between between IT and LOB. Because if, if you take a look at DevOps, right? This was the whole idea was to say, let's forget about separating from development and operations. But, but what about the business people? You know, like when we talk microservices and owning a product end to end, the business part is also important. Mm -hmm. So I, I think going forward, those, those, those teams that are cross-disciplinary where you have technology people and business people, this will be something I think will will take off in a couple of years. We're just at the very beginning, but this is where where ultimately Neptune can help because we can help deliver tangible business impacts at a time when everybody says, "Yeah, I can't wait for you know of a return of investment for a three-year, four-year uh, uh, project." They said, "No, it's now. It's it's mission critical. Either we we get some results in, so you need those 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 those." Um, fast time to market that is that is really important that the local platform can bring yeah i mean i i think that's an interesting an interesting point in that we're, we're certainly seeing well i don't know uh you know the mm. book by mick, mick kirsten you know from from project to product and um, mm -hmm. where we're definitely beginning to see i mean if we're going to say if the, if if any successful and sensible digital transformation has as part of it uh, a transition to really thinking about everything in terms of digital products and mm -hmm. product ownership, you know, uh, sort of up and down. A really good example um, uh, at the Financial Times where they decided that what they needed to do was if, because one of the things we've, we've got traditionally in, in, in tech, as you know, is 
sometimes you don't know who owns the thing, right? You've got infrastructure that's running the business, but who's the actual owner? They said, hang on a minute. We're going to do everything in terms of product owners. And if, if a piece of infrastructure is not identifiably owned by a product owner, we're going to turn it off. Mm-hmm. And that was part of their microservices journey where they said, look, we really need this, 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 this product ownership. So I, I think that you're, um, I think that makes a lot of sense. We're seeing a lot of that in, in, in organizations, uh, in organizations today. Cool. Um, so Matthias, we, we, I, I'm not sure we've, we've, we've probed enough misconceptions. I've said a couple of things that I think, you know, that might be seen. But what are you, what are some key sort of myths, misconceptions uh, that you'd like to address? Things that, you know, maybe, maybe they annoy yeah. you a bit when you're reading it, like, why are they saying this? Or, you know, what, what have, what have you, what, what, you know, what are some of the things that have got, you know, front of mind for you? Yeah. So we live at the times, you know, where at the one hand side, you have this hyperbole, like all the big analyst firms, all the vendors pushing really hard. And then you have a lot of skepticism across the techies. So the first misconception I want to say, no, first of all, a low code could definitely also mean making professional developers more productive with a component centric mm-hmm. model. So that's the first thing to understand. So it's not just low code does not automatically mean it's, it's citizen developership. Second, um, it's different types of application we're talking about, right? And I typically use an analogy saying, hey, if you want to build a house or a skyscraper, by all means, do it with professional workers that know what they're doing. But if it's just about, you know, to, to build a barn in your backyard or to, you know, repair a kitchen sink, if you have the, the right tools and if you have some craftsmanship, you can do it by yourself. And this is the type of applications that are typically being addressed with, with low code. It's not about the priority one things, right? Leave that to the pros. But at the moment, IT is so overloaded, they only get to do priority one. So a lot of the priority two stuff never gets done. And this is where local platforms kick in, really just turning IT departments into application factories, into app factories that can constantly roll out applications for, for the organization. And, and, and that's the thing. It's just a different thing. Um, yes, software engineering is a craft. You can't put a trained monkey on the job, no matter how sophisticated the tool may be. But, but there is some stuff that never gets done at the moment. And this is where local platforms, I think, can help. And, and people need to understand that. Right, so it's it's about making them more productive, um, and 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 making it more scalable. And that brings me to the second point: if if you want to build with high quality, at you know at scale, mm-hmm. then a, a platform is the right approach. And and typically, this is automotive is used to bring that home. Right, cars. Yes, you have different type of cars, but they have a shared platform, shared components. We can produce them at scale and at a high quality. So low code does not mean low quality, the opposite, because as you mentioned, the governance is there. Everybody just gets to use components that have been checked and are governed across non-functional requirements, security, archiving, data privacy, corporate identity. So it's better software, right? And, and I think those are the, the top, top two. And then the third one, and this is maybe also a call to action. I think we always know technology. Technology is typically not the issue. It's always culture. Mm-hmm. And, and the culture shift that I see at the moment is needed, that IT stops being the delivery unit for software into becoming the enabler of software delivery. And, and that's where governance kick in. And I think that will also help us produce not only 
help prioritize where we should be spend um, our software spend, but also in, in making it more tameable, right? Because, um, and now one last thing, when, when we start talking about citizen developership internally, we build a, a wizard-based approach and, and the headline said, which application do you want to build? And I went back to the team and said, that's already wrong. The question should be, which type of application do you need? Because the fastest way to get the app you need is not to build it yourself, but take one that was already built, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're talking about simple apps, like, yeah, like birthday list for middle management. I want to know when my people have birthdays and get a notification a day or two early. I mean, you need one. And if you now be smart about it and, and apply governance and somebody starts creating a screen says birthday list that, you know, uses an API that goes back to HR, you can do a pattern matching saying, hey, wait a second, we already have an app with that title that consumes the same API. Maybe you need to talk. And at the same time, imagine there's an app somebody built for themselves. They like it. It's useful. They expand into the whole team using it. Maybe the whole LOB. And suddenly you see a lot of traction. If you monitor that, IT can go back and say, hey, this seems to be an app that's really uh, gaining traction. Is there anything that we could do you know, like to make it even stronger? And then you have that collaboration and prioritization between citizen developership and professional IT departments. And I think that's where it's really becoming interesting. Are we there yet? No, but I, I clearly see that this is where we're heading. Yeah. Okay, you talk about culture change, and I think that's really important. You know, we, we, we mentioned uh, the, the transition to product management focus. Uh, you, you know, you said yourself that the sort of the transition we've made from uh, with DevOps, where we're, we're bringing ops and developers together into smaller teams, uh, working uh, more, more collaboratively, so there's this, 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 you know, you're, you're saying this will also happen with the business, this is happening with the business. Um, I think one of the, the questions to my mind is, is and, and you know, we've, Redmond, we've written a bit, bit about this, uh, my, my colleague, uh, Rachel Stevens and I, sort of, because quite often we're told that tools can't drive culture change. Mm. Um, on the other hand, anytime we've had a culture change in how we do businesses, there have usually been some core tooling associated with that. I mean, think about you know you mentioned DevOps. Uh, look, look at, at at the infrastructure and then or configures code and then infrastructure as code. You know, it's hard to imagine DevOps without the kind of automation um, that we've got from platforms like Chef, Puppet, later Ansible yeah. into Terraform and and what HashiCorp has done. So, how mature are your customers in terms of the culture, and how can you help them? without becoming a services company, which you don't want to be, you want to be a product company. Are you under any pressure to, or to help change the culture in your customers? Or do you find customers whose culture is already changing and you help to enable them? Yeah, good. Very good question. Um, I think at the moment, everybody is so like in survival mode still um, that, that, that it's hard to really think about that. You can't imagine how many times I hear people saying, yeah, we don't have time and we don't have resources to really look mm -hmm. into that, you know, like as, okay, if that's a dangerous road, you know, if you're already like, if the water is still here and, 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 and you don't change anything, how do you, you know, if, if you always keep doing the same things, how do you expect the change? That's not going to happen. Um, typically, um, what we see is that it starts organically at the customer side where we say we did one project, we do two projects, we do three projects internally and suddenly they realize hey there's something and then they also get the awareness from top management hey suddenly you know um there is an it department that we just you know put 
the stigma on just keeping the lights on. And suddenly those are the ones that are doing the innovative stuff, not, not the, the cloud center of excellence, not the machine learning center of excellence. It's the old guys that suddenly, you know, propel the business forward. And, and, and that's when we see, at least see the culture change of breaking this divide between back office IT and, 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 and innovation IT coming together and say, hey, we need to look at this more holistically because everything we're doing on the innovative side will probably touch a backend system and vice versa. So that's when it starts. And that's when, yeah, man, those teams that have worked together, the LOB and, and the IT team that did it, they, they, they were to, together successful. And, and that's where it starts. Does it automatically mean they will start a, you know, reorganizing to become fusion teams or microservices teams? Maybe not immediately, but at least you have those people talking to each other. Um, and from that perspective, I think, yeah, it's at the moment with, with COVID, um, with the economic downturn, with everything else that's happening in the world, people are still thinking um, in smaller in smaller dimensions and not like, let's make a big, reorg to to bring mm -hmm. in a different culture so i think it's it's something that will drive organically um yeah, and, and go viral from there okay okay so i guess uh, maybe uh, maybe to finish up with a bit of a curveball because you know <sighs> I, 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 and, and one way you can you know express a bit of an opinion so uh obviously uh you grew up in this sap ecosystem how do you see um uh, how do you see that changing and again, from the customer perspective, you mentioned these days there's going to be integration with some of those SaaS systems. Like, how is it? Is that still a good place to? Are you reliant on that? Do you see, you know, what's happening in terms of customers in the ecosystem vis-a-vis uh, -vis SAP in 2022? Mm -hmm. um, so just 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 to set this straight, so I'm a little bit special, maybe. Yes, I grew up in SAP land. But, but for the first 10 years, I was a software architect that worked at the intersection between SAP and open source. So mm -hmm. that's, so from that perspective, it's just, you know, continuation from what I'm doing now. Um, I sort of meant the company actually, because Neptune ah, okay. clearly, so it's both. You grew up in it, Neptune grew up in it, you know, but, it, but, well. it, but it's, exactly. it's, it's yeah. an ecosystem that, that is now, it's very mature. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just kind of interested in what, you know, what are you, are, are your customers saying we need, you know, new New, do, do we need something different? Uh, you know, what what's happening in the in the ecosystem at large um, that that you know is gonna is gonna help or, or hinder you going forward? So the SAP ecosystem at large, I think, is primarily on the topic on how and if and when to switch to the new ERP flagship that SAP introduced a while back called S4 HANA, which which has underneath an in-memory database and is very sophisticated, very modern architecture. But of course, everybody understands it will be cloud and hybrid scenario. So the question really is, how do I get the people from where they are today, like mm -hmm. on-prem, waterfall, very business focused uh, to, to go to the cloud where everything is, is, is technically much more complex? Um, and, 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 and how do I get my customers there? And how to, yeah. And that's where Neptune can, can help them because we're quite flexible, as I said, when it comes to deployment models. We can, we can pick up customers where they are today on-prem, work with them on when to go towards a hybrid architecture or cloud architecture, and we can help them work at their pace and, and, and at their terms. Um, and as we said, also bring in this 
this expertise that they need from a technology perspective, because it's, it's a very different thing. At the, back in the SAP days, there was an abstraction layer for, for SQL. So those mm-hmm. people never really had to write, you know, and, and they don't know what an outer joint was, you know, I mean, now, now I'm exaggerating, of course. And, and I never needed to know about responsive UI because there was a screen painter. And suddenly you're saying, hey, we have an in-memory database uh, to really utilize this thing. You need to do a lot of the, the code savvy stuff, the, the, the data crunch needs to be pushed down into the memory layer. And then you have, yeah, microservices, uh, cloud native applications responsiveness um, and fault tolerant resilient you know mm-hmm. and then build a, a ui5 on top that is uh, that is responsive and looks good on all things so it's a definitely a much bigger complexity um, and neptune can help with a much lower learning curve compared to many other things yeah. so there's plenty of opportunity for you in that ecosystem oh yes oh yes <laughs> okay. oh yes absolutely okay, right Okay, good. Well, look, uh, I think we've addressed some of these 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 um, uh, misconceptions. Uh, it's been great talking to you, Matthias. Uh, thanks for joining us today. And uh, yeah, you know, we'd love to talk to you again uh, soon. I think you've got some big plans uh, on the horizon. So next time we catch up, maybe we'll talk about that. Uh, good oh. to talk to you. And that's another Redmond conversation.